Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. It's great to hear you sing that song. I, my mom taught me that hymn when I was six years old, and I don't have to look at the screens uh, to sing it. The words of that hymn are like underneath my rib cage. They have, uh, they have sustained me. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. I've sung that uh, many a dark night when my, my stuff wouldn't get me through. Uh, but Jesus is the anchor that holds. Good to sing that hymn together. We're going to open up God's Word today, and uh, we're going to talk about the mission of the church, the mission of making and training disciples who make and train disciples. A simple title for this morning's sermon would, <clears throat> would be moving ahead on our mission. I want to understand uh, 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 what our mission is and a couple of clear steps we could take to move forward on our mission. So as we open up God's Word, let's pray. Lord God, eternal, show us now. Show us now in the preaching of your Word that all things are shadows, but you are substance. Assure us now through the proclamation of your scripture that all things are shifting, but you are the anchor that holds. Teach us now that all things are ignorance, but you are wisdom. Convict us now, not so much about the circumstances around us, but about the character of Christ to be formed within us. This we ask that your church may be built up in Jesus' name, amen. One day Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee and he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, and they were casting their nets into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, two words, follow me. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately those brothers left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, follow me. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. Another day soon after, Jesus was, Jesus was walking beside the sea, and all the crowd of people was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, Jesus saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax-collecting booth. And Jesus said to him, two words, follow me. And Levi rose and followed Jesus. And later that day, Jesus reclined at the table in Levi's house, and many tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around with Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with all of these bad people, these sinners and tax collectors, they said to Jesus' disciples, why is Jesus eating with all these bad people and tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are healthy have no need of a doctor, but I have come to call those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. The mission of this church is to make and train disciples of Jesus who will go on and keep on making and training more disciples of Jesus. 
And to become a disciple of Jesus is to follow, to hear those two words, follow me, and to do it. I suppose if we're going to talk about the mission of the church, which is making and training disciples, the, the big first question that we can green light right out of the gate is this question. What is a disciple? Good question. You know, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Where Jesus is going, that's where they go. Where Jesus says, stay away, they stay away. A disciple is someone who trusts Jesus, who loves Jesus, who listens to Jesus and responds to what Jesus says. You know, one way to understand what a disciple is, is a, it's, a pretty, it's, it's a pretty easy way, but it's a pretty big way. One way to understand what a disciple of Jesus is, is how you would answer this question. What is the most important thing about you? That's a pretty big question. What is the most important thing about you? We have the kids in here for the family service. What is the most important thing about you? Is it that you like Paw Patrol? What is the most important thing about you? We have a lot of grown-ups in this service who if they were asked that question, I don't know if they would say Paw Patrol, but they would grasp for an answer that is really faulty. We have a lot of people in the church who are grasping for an identity and a, uh, a feeling of belonging that's never going to be what they need it to be. What is the most important thing about you? You know, we live in an age and a culture that is obsessed with identity. Identity politics, identity marking, identity, identity. You, 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 you tell me your story. You be the authentic you. You know, before this uh, post-capitalist, post-modern West all got obsessed about identity, way before Freud, the gospel, the gospel actually rises and falls on this issue of identity. Either you're somebody who is you or you are somebody who is following Jesus. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, there are only two identities, in Adam or in Christ. Listen to, how, listen to how it says it in Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. The Bible says in Romans 5, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. It says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those receive abundance of grace through the free gift of righteousness that reigns in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. The Bible says, really, there are only two identities, and we don't think about this nearly enough. We try to find our identity in so many things. 
The Bible says your identity is you are in Adam or you are in Jesus. Those are the only two identities. Either you're the old you who is going your own way, following your own desires, stuck in your sin, or you are now the new you and you are in Christ and you are following Jesus. You know, in one of our services, have you ever been here when we had a baptism? We open up those wooden doors there and we dunk somebody under and we lift them back up. Every time we have a baptism service, we quote this scripture from the next chapter in Romans. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. There's an old me that was following my sinful desires in this world, or there's a new me who is now following Jesus. Those are the only two identities that there are. The apostle goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, oh, he says, he says, thanks be to God that though you used to be the old you, he says you used to be slaves of sin. He says, thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to, which, to, to that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you have become the happy slaves of righteousness unto the glory of Jesus Christ. Only two identities. Either I'm in myself and my sin and my death for I am in Jesus Christ. And he took my sin upon the cross and now he's given me his life. There's the old me or the new me. And so what it means to be a disciple is that if somebody asks you the question, what's the most important thing about you? The answer to that question is, the most important thing about me is that I used to be the old me and that's not me anymore because Jesus has made me new. That's the most important thing about you. Jesus, is, Jesus, Jesus and following Jesus is, is it. Kids, uh, we have uh, no, no crosswalk ministry today and next Sunday, and then it's going to start back up again. And I have, a, I have a hint for you. When crosswalk ministry starts back up, if a teacher is up front and they ask you a question, if you don't know the answer to the question, just guess, Jesus. Just guess, Jesus. Because I'm telling you guys, like eight or nine out of 10 questions that they ask in Crosswalk, the answer is Jesus. And that's as it should be. Because what does it mean to be a disciple? It means that I'm no longer me. Now I'm in Jesus because Jesus has loved me and given himself up for me. And the mission of the church is all about Jesus. When we are outside the doors of this facility, it's all about Jesus because we're telling people, you can become a disciple of Jesus. Would you follow Jesus? Would you be made new? Would you be born again? And when we're inside of the walls of this place, we are building up each other as disciples of Jesus. There's a discipleship of Jesus inside and outside. 
It's kind of why we call it making and training disciples of Jesus. When we are outside, we make disciples of Jesus, or the Spirit uses us to make disciples of Jesus. That's called conversion. That's called being born again. That's called being going from death to life. When we are inside the church, it's, it's not conversion so much as it is conformity. Because once you're converted, the Scripture says the point of conversion is that Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead and above all things, would become the firstborn among many brethren who would take on his likeness. So when we're in the church, it's about conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside, disciple-making is conversion. Inside, it's training toward Christ in conformity to Christ's likeness. That's our mission of making and training disciples of Jesus. You know, we need, that, we, we, we need that mission inside because once you're converted and you become a disciple of Jesus and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, the problem is you still wander into your own ways. You wander into your old ways of sin and we don't really see what's going on. You know, last week... I got, a, I got a bloody nose. Nobody punched me. At least last week they didn't. Many times people have tried to punch me, but I dodge. But I think I got a bloody nose because uh, maybe I had allergies and I was mowing the lawn. And the, the problem was I didn't know my nose was bleeding. It was just like a little bit underneath there and I didn't feel it yet. So somebody had to tell me, hey, get a Kleenex. Your nose is bleeding. You know, even though you're following Jesus... One of the reasons you need to be a covenant member of the church is because we all have a nosebleed or a sin problem that we ourselves can't see. And the other people who are following Jesus can see it and they can help you overcome it. We need other believers to point out sin in our lives. That's called confrontation and exhortation. And sometimes we need other people to point out the grace of God in our lives. That's called encouragement. And we need that within the church. We make disciples through evangelism outside of the church, but we train up and we help disciples persevere by encouraging and exhorting each other within the church. This is what we need. One of the simplest ways to put it is that the church makes and trains disciples by being the church. We talked about that last week, I think, in Ephesians 4, that every member ministry where we just help each other. Here's a practical way that you could help somebody else in the church. It's, a, it's, all, it's like a book recommendation. So this Sunday and next, uh, I'm finishing up this series on the state of the church. So Sunday after next, we'll begin our new series, which is a series on doctrine, the, the eight great doctrines of the Christian faith. And actually... I don't know if you believe this or not. When we start that doctrine series, I'm going to recommend that every one of you get a hold of a book that's 500 pages long. And some of you won't want to do that because you don't like reading books. Okay, fine. The book I'm recommending to you right now, I looked it up this morning, it's 96 pages long. Hey, even if you don't like books, you could get a 96-page book. The recommendation for for being in the church and encouraging one another, get this book, which is 96 pages, and get one for your friend. You read three pages of it a day. You get through it in a month. Three pages of it a day. And make a covenant with your friend, like, I'm going to text you or call you, or you're going to text me and call me. Something in those three pages that will help you live your Christian life today. This book is called A Gospel Primer. P-R-I-M-E-R, a gospel primer. 
It's written by a guy named Milton Vincent. I knew Milton when I lived in California. He's a pastor there. A Gospel Primer. And it's a, it's a little 96-page book. I've probably read that book 10 times. It's the kind of book that if you read a couple of pages of it every day, it will help you know who you are. My identity is not my job. My identity is not what my, my friends say about me. My identity is that I'm in Jesus Christ. It's a really helpful book that you could go through with somebody else on that conformity to Jesus. Our mission is making and training disciples who make and train disciples. Outside, we call that conversion and evangelism. Inside, we call that conformity and, and equipping or encouragement. The big text where I'd ask you to turn to where we find our mission is there in Matthew 28. The last two, three, four verses of Matthew 28 where we get our mission of making and training disciples. Matthew 28, verses 16 and following. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I want to talk to you about moving forward on our mission, which is making and training disciples who make and train disciples out of the four alls, the four ALLs in this text. First one, verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all the authority. Jesus has all of the authority in heaven. Angels, principalities, powers, galaxies, shooting stars. Jesus has all the authority on earth. Afghanistan, terrorists, politicians, kings, financial institutions. Jesus has all of the authority on the earth. Some people are confused about this, but do you know this? Jesus actually has all the authority in hell. Satan, the devil, is not in charge of hell. Jesus is because of his justice, which will never be thwarted. Jesus has all authority. And in Matthew's gospel, it means very, very much that this statement of Jesus having all authority is on this side of the cross and the grave. Because what he is saying is that he is speaking this. He speaks with human lips. All authority has been given to me, but he's speaking them with resurrected human lips. So one of the things he is saying is all authority over the grave now belongs to me. Because he's on this side of the cross. And it's as if he's saying in this statement, you saw me bleed and suffer on the cross. And when you saw that, you saw the ruler of this world nip at my heel. But now that I've come from the grave, you have seen me crush his head into the dust. And all authority belongs to me. Church, what government is going to stop the church? What war 
What financial shortfall is going to stop the church if all authority has been given to us by Jesus Christ? You know, when Jesus says this in Matthew, like just flip a few pages later, Jesus goes to heaven and then the apostles start preaching the gospel. We went through, we went through Acts in our ABFs. And what is it, two, three, four chapters into Acts? The apostles are preaching the gospel and the government shows up. Hey, apostles, you can't preach the gospel anymore. And the apostles are like, well, who are you? What does your authority have to do with us? We're serving Jesus. You can't tell us what to do. And they keep preaching the gospel. All authority belongs to Jesus. And when we are in the middle of the mission, we are under the authority of Jesus, which no earthly or demonic power can thwart. Problem is, when I talk to you about the mission of the church outside the church, and I talk to you about evangelism, we all get a little timid, and we all get a little fearful. Why? Well, we don't want people to think that we're weird. Some of you, a couple of you, you actually want people to think you're weird, and you're weird. But most of you, you don't want people to think you're weird. And so you think, if I talk to them about hell and heaven, they're going to think I'm weird. You ever think about it like this? When you are outside of the church and you are speaking about Jesus to someone who hasn't followed Jesus yet, get this. It's not like when you're outside the church, you're talking to someone who isn't yet under the authority of Jesus and you're begging them to come under the authority of Jesus. Every human soul to whom you will ever speak is locked under the authority of Jesus. Every single soul. If they are not under the merciful authority of Jesus as Redeemer, then right now while you're talking to them, they are locked under the authority of Jesus as judge. It is not like you have to beg them, oh, please accept this Jesus stuff. They are already living under it, whether they accept it or not. But we don't want people to think we're weird. We're worried that if we talk about this. So if I could summarize, especially on our mission outside, which is making disciples of Jesus through confronting them and, and calling them to conversion, if I could just speak to you simply about these two things, fear and faith. When we're outside, we're overcome by fear, and so we don't walk in faith. Let me summarize for you in a simple way what fear is and what faith is. Fear is to live life overwhelmed by life. Fear is to live life overwhelmed by life. Faith is to live life overwhelmed by Jesus. Faith is to live life overwhelmed by God. You see, if you live in fear, this is how you live. You are overwhelmed by what can people do to me? What can life do to me? What can my circumstances do to me? You're overwhelmed by how people can hurt you or how people can harm you. And you live in fear because you're overwhelmed by life. 
But if you would begin to live by faith, to live by faith is simply to live like, like this, where, where, where every day what's running through your mind is this, what can God do in me? What has God said about me? Has God said to me, I shall be your God and you shall be my people? Has God said to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you? Then you live by faith. To live under the authority of Jesus is to live overwhelmed by Jesus every minute of every day. To live by fear is to live as if the authority of the world and the people of the world could harm you, but they cannot. And so I want to call you to live by faith and not to live by fear. There's a beautiful verse about living by faith and not living by fear. It's found in, I can read it to you, it's in 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 9. 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 through 9. It says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which Jesus Christ gave us before the world began. That's a great verse. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 9, because what it says is, you don't have a spirit of fear. You have a spirit which overcomes fear, a spirit of faith and power. And then it says, did you catch it? It says in verse 9, you now have a spirit, not of fear, but a spirit of faith and power. And the reason you have that spirit, are you still listening to me? The reason you have that spirit has nothing to do with your personality. Nothing. The reason you have that spirit has nothing to do with how your earthly father treated or mistreated you. The reason you have overcome the spirit of fear has to do with the covenant promise that Jesus made to you before the world ever began. So I... Uh, I'm not asking you to try to be a better you. I'm asking you to hear and believe what Jesus has proclaimed about you if you are no longer the old you, but you are now the new creation in Christ. I just think we get so timid about evangelism. Like we got to get people's permission to talk to them about the authority of Jesus. No, we don't. We walk by faith. You ever see, you ever see a leaf or a piece of paper on a, on a windy day? Sure you have. Just blows around. I think we talk about witnessing and we get fearful because we think when we walk out of the doors of the church, the world is so windy and we're just a leaf. We're just a ripped off piece of paper and it's just going to blow us everywhere. It's the wrong picture. When we walk out of the church, I'm okay with you thinking of yourself as a leaf or a piece of paper because you're weak. That's okay. But the picture ought to be when you walk out of the church, you ever drop a leaf in a mighty river? Think of it like that. When you walk out of the church, this, this is my father's world. 
All authority has been given to Jesus in this world. And when I walk out the doors of this church, then I'm a leaf, but what I'm being dropped into is the mighty river of the kingdom purposes of almighty God. And so I move forward without fear. And whatever person sits behind me in math class, whatever grouchy neighbor on my street is yelling at me, who whatever coworker is going through a divorce and is crying in the break room, this is my father's world and I'm in this movement of his redemptive love, which Jesus says, I didn't come to call the healthy people. I came to call the broken people and to bring them in. Let's live and witness like all authority belongs to Jesus. Second all, all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, like behind this little pulpit here, was, uh, we're not supposed to say their name or where they're working, but was two of our Christian workers. We're allowed to say it's somewhere in the Horn of Africa, but they gave us an update of the dangerous, quote-unquote, yet beautiful ministry of disciple-making that they are carrying out in those nations. Our kids in the crosswalk ministry, they get updates. I think maybe the last update they got was from the Weiss family who's translating scripture in Tanzania and even our crosswalk ministry and our kids, they, they support that work of worldwide missions. Even here at RBC, after, after second service ends at one o'clock, we, we have a ministry called Esperanza Viva where people who want to follow Jesus, but they're from Mexico or they're from Puerto Rico and their first language is Spanish, we preach Jesus to them. All nations. You know, there's a lot of talk about racial prejudice. The, there's, nothing, there's nothing new under the sun. The first disciples of Jesus had a big problem with like ethnocentrism as, as Jewish converts. And you read it in Acts, you read it in Galatians. They were like, we, we have a problem sharing the good news with the Gentiles. And the Bible, the, the way that lays out is crystal clear. Any so-called Christian ministry that's prejudiced or ethnocentric. That Christian ministry is going to become like the last nasty squished raisin in the bottom of the box. It's never, ever going to be sweet and fruitful. But the Christian ministry that embraces the call of Jesus to go to all the nations and a Christian ministry that says, Jesus didn't come to call the, the good-looking and the wealthy and the successful. Jesus came to call everyone. And that, that has that same heart that Jesus had to reach out to, to Levi, to reach out to the, to the sinners, to reach out to every person. That church gets to grow and blossom in beautiful ways that only the kingdom of God can show. There's no place for kind of a me-first-ism in the church. None, none. Maybe let me say one more thing about evangelism, then we'll move on to the next all. And I just mentioned this because I thought it was, it, it surprised me, and I just heard it last week. I heard it on a podcast. It may be 
true. It may not, but I, I hope it's true. In this podcast, they, uh, it was kind of about evangelism, and they asked one simple question, and to, to prove the case, they asked this one simple question to two different groups of people. They asked this one simple question to Bible church members exactly like us. And then they asked the, this exact same question to persons who never went to church and didn't claim to be Christians. But they asked both of these groups the exact same question. The question was this. What percentage, what percentage of people who aren't Christian and don't go to church are open to talking about spiritual things? What percentage of people who aren't Christian and don't go to church are open to talking about spiritual things? And the Bible church group that was asked that question answered less than 20% want to talk about spiritual things. And the people who are not yet Christian and living without attending church answered more than 60% of people are open to talking about spiritual things. Well, I don't know the exact specificities of that study, but I like it and I buy it because I'm just trying to say, give it a try. Maybe you're, maybe you're so afraid of getting the door slammed in your face and that door's going to open and they're going to give you a cupcake. You don't know that. Just give it a try. I was, I was talking to somebody in my neighborhood uh, last week, actually. I prayed last week for two or three or four opportunities to talk to unbelievers. And I, Jesus gave me four opportunities to talk to unbelievers last week. I'm talking to somebody... Uh, uh, in my neighborhood, and uh, she, she lives alone. And she said to me, uh, all your kids are grown up and moved out of the house. Don't you feel lonely and sad? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you, it's not because I hate my kids. <laughs> I said, can I tell you why? Honestly, this is what I said. I said, uh, there's like a hundred kids at my church who love me. And I love them. I love them. They're a second family to me. I, I was, because uh, Wayne was preaching, I was able to tell this neighbor, just last Sunday, I helped out on playground duty. And those kids love me so much, they pick up that bark on the playground and they chucked it at my head. That's an expression of love because I throw it back hard. We love each other. And, um, you know, I, I didn't share all about heaven and hell with her, but maybe, maybe that opened up. I'm just hoping that now she doesn't think of church as a place you have to drop a $100 bill and light a candle. Maybe church really is a new forever family to which you can belong by the blood of Jesus. You don't know. You don't know how... how non-intimidating it might be just to open up that conversation with somebody. So do it. Do it this week. All authority, all nations. The third all is it says there all he has commanded. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. All that I have commanded. If you know what's happening in our world, based on the commercials you see on TV, the news reports, and you know what the commands of God are, then you understand this profound principle 
but it's really simple to understand if you, if you just watch the way things are. And this is the profound principle. Uh, at any given time in human history, certain biblical commands will sound strange or wrong because of the values of the worldly culture that we are living in. That's what worldliness is. Worldliness is how the norms of the world make Jesus' commands seem strange or narrow or bigoted. And at any given time in human history, different commands will seem strange because of what the world values at this particular time. And this is, this is what happens. So I'm, I, just, I just get sick up to here with these suggestions from quote-unquote successful megachurches that to, to, uh, to be more successful, we have to be silent about the controversial issues that the world doesn't want to hear about, and we just need to mute ourselves about those things. That's complete baloney. To have a successful ministry, these are the requirements. Fear God, believe his word, share it with everyone everywhere all the time. That's all we got to do. Of course, when we share God's word, it would help if we were nice. It would help if we weren't jerks and with spittle spewing out of our bad breath mouth. But this world is not going to be helped if, if we pretend that rejecting what Jesus has said about what it means to be a human being created as a man or a woman, if we pretend that that, 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 that isn't on the table. This is one of the things that Jesus has said. So in love, we share all that Jesus has commanded. It's refreshing, isn't it, to meet somebody who really believes what they say they believe. I enjoy a conversation with an unbeliever who is frank and honest about what they do and don't believe. And, I, and I'm simple enough to believe that there are a lot of unbelievers out there who would enjoy a conversation with me if I'm upfront and honest about what I do and don't believe. Let's just talk about it. All that he's commanded. And then you see the fourth one. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the Greek text, we could actually translate that as, behold, I am with you all the days, or all your days. Jesus says, behold, I am with you all your days, even to the last of your days. Jesus is with us. Do you know Matthew's gospel begins and ends with Jesus being with us? You know the gospel begins in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, one of the very first things that is said about Jesus. Even the kids in here, you probably, maybe you know the answer to this question. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, call Jesus' name Emmanuel, which means, and then it fills in what that means. Call Jesus' name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. That's Matthew chapter 1. And then all the way here in the last chapter of Matthew, God repeats that. And it's Jesus who says, I'm with you. Why, why start and end with that? Well, I don't know, but I... I got to guess that one of the reasons Matthew's gospel begins and ends with that is because, because our Abba, Daddy, Father, he knows how afraid we get and he knows how alone we feel. 
and he knows how our hearts doubt. And so he tells us at the beginning and he tells us at the end, I am with you always, always, every single day. I am with you. Man, Jesus is with you. And if you, if you would just, maybe this is the biggest thing you could take away is this. Even though it sounds so simple, maybe this is the biggest thing you could take away. Jesus is a person. As simple as that sounds. Because I do not want you to be here under the ministry of the word and leave thinking or feeling like we have been saved by a 500-page theology book. We haven't. Or thinking or feeling like we've been saved by an idea. We haven't. We've been saved by a person. And this person, with human lips, spoke two words here. I am. And after those two most foundational words, he spoke two more words. This person named Jesus says, I am with you. You know, Jesus has eyes where he can lock eyes with you when he says, I am with you. Jesus has arms. Well, we haven't seen him yet, but a day is soon coming when we will see his eyes and we'll see his arms because he is in a resurrected body just like the one we're going to get. Jesus has arms. And when he says, I am with you, he is able to grab your shoulders and pull you to himself with those arms. And Jesus says, I am with you. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means that that person is my best friend. That person is the most important thing about me because he has said to me, I am with you. You know, one of the greatest, honestly, one of the greatest blessings of my life is that I am surrounded by coworkers and friends to whom Jesus is not an idea, to whom Jesus is not a political principle, but I'm surrounded by people to whom Jesus is a person. And when I am with them, they make Jesus that much more real to me. And I hope in a little way, when they're with me, I do the same for them. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus with the community of disciples of Jesus. So if that's our mission, let me end with one simple thing that you can do to move ahead on our mission. And this thing is so simple, you can write it down if you want, but it's so simple, you probably don't even need to write it down. What can, what's the one thing I can do to move forward on mission? And the one thing, just simple, it has two parts. Open up the word of God and ask God to open up their heart. That's it. Open up the word of God and ask God to open up the heart. When we're out there evangelizing, we open up the word of God and we share it. I don't mean to pop your bubble, although actually I probably do. 
your greatest gift in evangelism is not your winning personality. It's not even your personal testimony, how you used to be on heroin and now you're not, though glory to God if that's the case. But your greatest weapon or your greatest gift in evangelism doesn't have anything to do with you. It's, it's, the, it's the only weapon or the only good thing which God has promised. When I send this forth, it will always accomplish that for which I send it. So open up the word of God and then pray that God, the living spirit, would open up the heart of the ones to whom you speak. And you know what? It's exactly the same when we're not making disciples out there, but we're training disciples in here. Have those Bible-drenched conversations with each other and share that, share that Kleenex and say, you have a bloody nose and you don't know it, but here's a scripture that might help you. And have those kinds of conversations with each other. That's how the whole thing works. Church, our mission is so worth it. And our mission is actually one that we can move ahead on with those two simple steps of opening up the word of God and praying that God would open up hearts. That's good news. We can trust Jesus to accomplish this in and through us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we bow before you confident of this, that all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to you. You've conquered the grave. And Jesus, we bow before you wanting to receive all that you've commanded. We don't want to edit you. We don't want to mute you. We want to receive all that you've commanded. And we want to share that with one another and with a dying world. And Jesus, we gladly receive your call to go to all the nations. Remove from us any sense of me-firstism or prejudice of any kind. And give us your heart for all people. And Jesus, give us great confidence that you are with us every single one of our days so that you might be glorified in the fruitful disciple-making ministry of your church. This we ask, Jesus, in your name. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.